Shabbos. Everything is about Shabbos. No, I don't, I'm not joking. And I'm not the first one to say that. The Zohar says that the God's name, Kivyachol, so to speak, is Shabbat. And one of God's names is Shabbat. And Shabbat is the, the pinnacle of creation and the the telos of all teloses. It's the it's the teleological, the the tachlis, the the purpose of creation, Shabbat. Shabbat. And last week um, we were talking about the name of Shabbat as being a construction between the letter Shin and the two letters of Bet and Taf. Shin Bat. That's what we were talking about last week. About that how those three letters that form up the word in Hebrew for Shabbat, for the holiest day of the Hebrew calendar, which happens 52 times a year, that that day, Shabbat, is spelled Shin Bet Taf. The second to last letter, followed by the second letter, followed by the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Shin Bet Taf. And that you could construct that, that could be telling a story. Those three letters could be telling a story, right? The shin is the three, because shin is the letter that has three heads. It has three little pieces. It's got a base, and then three um, arms ascending towards heaven, and it looks like a crown with three, three pieces to it. And that represents the three upper spherot, the three most sublime elements of consciousness. And that shin, which is keter chokma bina chabad, or kochav, keter chokma bina, which means super-rational, intuitive wisdom and understanding, those three combined in one crown, meaning the most sublime abstractions imaginable. As they descend from, using, of course, a spatial analogy of descent and ascent, we have no choice. So that descent of that which is most sublime into the world of manifestation, meaning three-dimensional reality, like buses and trains and Coca-Cola, that marriage of heaven and earth is represented orthographically, meaning with the letters by Shin, the three energies, represented by the Shin's three pieces, and the word formed from the last two letters of the of Shabbat, Bat, which means daughter, which in Kabbalah the daughter always refers to um, this world. It's not, there's not one, so you, it's clear already, I hope, in the last four classes that there isn't one um, image used to describe these different layers of, of reality. There are many symbol sets or clusters of symbols, yeah? So for those who have been here, how many of you haven't been here yet? Right, you're new here. I'm looking, I'm thinking, is she following any of this? Okay, you know, it's like, you're like walking into a, a storm, a perfect storm. So, um... If you've never studied Kabbalah before, I'm going to try my best, as I do every week, to try to unpack some of these stuff. And I'll give you one? Sure. I haven't handed them out. You get the first one. Right oh, my God, I'm so sorry. You know, it's I great. You have one. Anybody that comes with their own steps tool gets the, gets the, you're great. Okay. Um, so, let me hand them out, since Rachel took one. So, hand these out, Joy. Judy, rather. And they'll hand me this to Arthur. Just one packet with a staple on the top left. Oh, 
and there are extras in case somebody comes in. Do you want to be the managing the Deborah? Why don't you hold on to these and just hand them out if anybody walks in? Okay. You're on the door. The You're the bouncer. Okay. You're the Shabbat bouncer. Shabouncer, okay? So, um, so for those who are new, um, you know, a disclaimer, there's no way for me to go over all this material every single week, and I would love to have a purely drop-in class, but it, la- it doesn't have continuity, and there are many people who are coming on a weekly basis, so I defer to them, and I'm trying to build a class around those who are, who are coming and staying and building week by week, so I'm hoping that that'll be also those who come today for the first time, but we've had four classes up to now, we're talking about, um, this is the third. Uh, no, you know why? I'm including the Tuesday night that we did with the Ishbitzer in the sukkah, but you're right, it's the third one. So, um, I knew that I had it there for a reason, it's not, it's not, hasn't gone yet, it's still going, so okay, so uh, this is the third class of, uh, of our seventh year. We've done a lot of background stuff. So if you're a little bit lost, that's perfectly normal. Um, feel free to ask questions as we go. Um, so back to Shabbat. So we, we talked about this, the word, how in the construction of the word itself, we have um, an image of what is known in mystical literature as hiros gamos, or um, sacred marriage. Sacred marriage. It's a beautiful term, right? Hieros gamos. You hear hierarchy also. Hierarchy also means sacred. Sacred order. Hierarches. Sacred order or sacred ladder. So, hieros gamos. If you look in your handout, I'm going to talk a little bit about what Shabbat is. Turn to the, the, uh, the page with the big number three, which should be from front to back, the third third side, not third page, but the third side, should have Sabbath um, as cosmic blessing in number, sub number eight. You see that, top left? Um, everybody there? So look down to 9A, small little piece from Moshe de Leon. Moses de Leon was the 13th century, most likely the author of the Zohar. The Zohar is the 13th century mystical work that the Orthodox and traditional community claims was written in the second century by a rabbi named Shimon Bar Yochai, but most modern scholarship posits that it was written by Moses de Leon, who wrote a number of works um, as Moses de Leon, but the Zohar, of course, is not written with any, um, any ascription. It's kind of anonymous. So listen to this one line. This one line, the Sabbath is... The perfection of male and female is the shlimu de duchra v'nukva. It's the completion of male and female. The mystery of one, raza de echad. On Shabbat, all is one entity. And more deeply, 9b. Raza de Shabbat. In many... Um, in most Hasidic communities, this piece of the Zohar, and in fact, it actually appears in our Siddur, in the Sabbath prayer book that we have, that was put together by Rabbi Marsha Prager, this excerpt from the Zohar is actually in the Siddur. Um, we don't read it um, because 
We haven't yet read it. But, but we're <laughs> There's no reason why we don't read it. But the secret of Shabbat, Raza de Shabbat, Raza, isn't that a great, everybody say that with me. Raza de Shabbat. Raz in Hebrew is mystery. Raz, R-O-Z, or Resh Zayin. Resh Zayin. Raza, with an olive at the end, is the Aramaic construction of the Hebrew. Often in Aramaic, they add a little olive at the end of something like, right, um, Alma is Olam. Alma is world in Aramaic, but in Hebrew, it's Olam. They add a little olive at the end, and it becomes Alma, like Letterman. You know, it's like I take this olive off my Aramaic vest, and I place it, and I make it Alma, is Olam. So you hear... Raza is the Aramaic construction of the word in Hebrew, Raz, which means mystery. Raza de Shabbat is the mystery of Shabbat. Raza de Shabbat. Or, or let's all say, let's everybody be in Ashkenaz now for a moment. Are we ready? Yeah. Follow me. Raza de Shabbos. Raza de Shabbos. Oh, equal opportunity. Svardim, Ashkenazim. Okay. Raza de Shabbos. You can hear like we, one's accented forward, one's accented back. Okay. The secret of Shabbat is that she, the Shekhinah, and when I say Shekhinah, everybody, you say... Shabbat. Right, so when I say Shekhinah, you say Divine Feminine, okay? I say Shekhinah, Divine Feminine. And remember, in mystical Jewish literature, multiple symbols are employed for the same thing. So... The Shekhinah is the divine feminine. You can hear it in the word Shekhinah. It's, it's a feminine. Those who don't know Hebrew, it's the, the, the ah at the end. Shekhinah is a feminine construction. Shekhinah is feminine. So the Shekhinah is God's divine wife. <laughs> I said it. But for those of you who have been here for a long time, that's not a shocker, right? We know that in, in mystical literature of in Judaism, we also have a Shiva Shakti. We have a divine feminine, divine masculine. So Shekhinah is God's divine wife. Right? And she is, in the symbol set, she is, what are some synonyms for Shekhinah? What is the Shekhinah? I said it earlier, we're talking about a divine marriage. Shekhinah is the bride. She's also known as the queen. She's also known as the princess, the daughter. She's also known as Shabbat or Malchut, she's also known as th- this world, I mean, this world is, is, is Shekhinah, right? Divine, in, in, inherent, in hearing, in matter, or form, form is Shekhinah. All form is Shekhinah. Can you see how that symbol, can you, everybody see how that symbol cluster came together? So it's, it's not easy to hold it together. Let me give you a, a sense of what, what's the glue, the, the, uh, what's, the, um, what's the inner intelligence of what keeps that symbol grouping together is the sense that the end of the process of manifestation, matter and mother, right, that the world is born, so to speak, and... Um, made manifest and that which is made manifest is um, that is tangible that is that can be touched right has 
appropriates um, the maternal, the maternal, or the mothering, the mother metaphor. So this is the stuff of mom. Genesis, like the results of creation, because I remember in our prayer right. So what's interesting is that both the world is born within, right, the womb of God. And it also is infused with that as well. So everything of this world is shechina, where God is resting, and that resting is considered maternal or feminine, right? One again, this is not. I'm not trying to prove that it is true, but this is the assumption of there of the Kabbalists that matter is of the mother, and that all of divine immanence, meaning divine as we can touch it, taste it, feel it, move it, is of the mother. Right? If you were a feminist, you might have... I'm a feminist, and I might have a problem with some of this, maybe. Right? I was going to say, is feminine synonymous with maternal? Right. <clears throat> Does it, right. So that's one assumption. The, the, of course, the assumption also that that's the mother. I mean, it could also be the father if you were in a different tradition, or non-sexualized or non-genderized. No. You could... You have a number of different. I don't think it could just be that way. It seems to me it's like the male, all week you worked for this male working toward something, and the feminine you receive is completed. So right, but that's but that's only using a biological frame. So that's again, that's one chosen frame. Looking, choosing to look at gender through its sexualized or its biological functionality, one could easily argue that there are other proactive elements of divine of the, of quote unquote women. And confusing women's biology with gender also is very problematic. Uh -huh. I mean, there are a lot of issues with this. But for now, why, why make it, it... Let's say it's beautiful for now. Well, let's not have <laughs> issues with it. It's nice. It's the first time that you're seeing it. You don't, you're not taking an academic course on the problems of, of, <laughs> of, of over-essentialized gender in Kabbalah of the 13th century. We can have that. <laughs> right? We, uh, that, we, there is, of course. We can, uh, those are, of course, the classes. But, but for now, but for now, just so you remember, without complicating things, that Shabbat is seen as the Malchut, the last of the seven Sfirot, which, by the way, is, of course, the last stage of divine unfolding. It is, it has a characterization as woman, as feminine, as vessel, as, vessel, as right, receptive, and so on, the moon. Right? All of that, all of the light of the six days are pouring into the vessel culture. But she is known as the queen, she is known as the daughter. All of these are synonymous and multi-changes. So don't try to think, wait a second, you said she was the daughter, and now she's the queen. They're all part of the same symbol set, and they're used interchangeably, often without any, often without any perceptible reason. Just that it's the beauty of multiple frames, like when you're telling a story and you say, it's like this, and then you say, well, it's also like this, and you give multiple ways of looking at it. And, um, and also to know that, that um, well, we'll stop there. I'll take a, Can I just ask something? No, but, uh, yeah, I want you to raise your hand, because Karen raised her hand. Okay, okay thanks. Yes, <laughs> so good. good. Actually, you said it just now, which is I look at the Shekinah also as receptivity, as receiving energy. Um, so that makes sense for me. 
So in, in that vein, I want to say that, that another, another synonym for this energy we're calling the Divine Mother or the Divine Feminine, which expresses itself in time through Shabbat, in person through the Queen or the, or the, the Daughter of the Bat, in space, is, in the Zohar, it's often the land of Israel, or more generically, it's called the Apple Orchard. The Chakal Tapuchin Kadishin. That they use an image of an apple orchard. Isn't that beautiful? The image of an apple orchard as the Divine Mother expressed through the scent of walking into an apple orchard. Why an apple orchard and not a pear, a peach pear? I don't know. Could be that that was. The, could be that the author was looking at. Uh, at apple orchards. Could be that it's connected with the myth in Christian mythology of an apple in the Garden of Eden. Um, there's no apple in the Jewish tradition anywhere. Uh, it could be a whole host of things, but it's, it's seen as the orchard of the apples and that the Kabbalists are called apple orchard farmers. <laughs> so that if you can imagine this, I mean, imagine... Imagine the, 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 the beauty of walking into an apple orchard, literally, and being surrounded by that magnificence and that scent and that radiance. And then imagine, much like, I don't want to confuse you, but there was a, a Sufi poet named Rumi in the 12th century who um, lived in Konya and Turkey and, and was, was the most famous Sufi, still the most famous Sufi, who would use it, he and other Sufis who were Muslim mystics would often think of, call the divine, the place where God rests in the world as the tavern. And they weren't talking about going to a bar. They were saying that there was a God intoxication, right? This sense of being inebriated on bliss or divine love, which many of us have had experiences of in profound ways. Um, some of us um, live in that tavern. And some um, have had a chance to visit that tavern when a baby is born or holding the hand of someone who's about to die or on a, a beautiful um, silent retreat on the third day or listening to a your left and right hemispheres of your brain becoming harmonized through binaural technologies, or um, a moment where you touch a child's hand and you realize that that was a moment of eternity and then it's gone, but it didn't go anywhere. You're in the tavern, and then you get kicked out quickly. You know, the bouncer says, okay, time to go. It's, it's uh, last call, you know, get out. Uh, and in our own uh, in our own language, the language is being in the field of of the apples, the apple orchard, and Shabbat, which has all of these wonderful valences, you know. Shabbat, so beautiful, the Shin Bat, the daughter of the the three crowns, is also also uh, known as the visit to the apple orchard, and that the radiance. And the fragrance, and this is also very powerful, because fragrance is a very important theme on Shabbat. I think I mentioned this last week as well, that the only one of the scents, of the five senses that we have, that is not 
included in the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is the scent of smell. All of the other scents are implicated. They saw that it was good, they touched it, they tasted it, they heard, right? I forgot the fifth one, I missed one, whatever. They, uh, so the smell, right? The fifth is the smell. So they, they, it doesn't say that they smelled it. And, they, and in all of the mystical literature of, of our tradition, that's because the scent of smell can't be um, in any way, shape, or form affected. Because smell is connected with memory. And so you can't ever lose the memory of having been in the Garden of Eden. You never had a fall in that sense. And so the direct route back is through scent. And so on Shabbat, is a very strong connection with, with smelling on Shabbat. I know that when my Rebbe, when Reb Zalman was, um, I promise we're coming back to the text, don't worry. When Reb Zalman was um, just a wee, a wee rabbi, I guess, <laughs> like, like my age. You know, I'm a very young rabbi. I'm in like toddler stage. I'm not even yet, I'm not even pre-K. So when he was like my age, my, my Rebbe, my teacher, he was, in, he was invited to, for a summer to Ramah to be the rabbi, in, you know, working with all of the young kids there. And my Rebbe, my teacher, is so blessed with creativity. He's just a never-ending source of creative life. So the first thing that he did, because during the year before he became the Ramah, those who know what Ramah is, Ramah are the series of Jewish camps that are run by the conservative movement. Many people have gone. Um... And it, it's actually funny because I was where I was this weekend, is I was invited to the conservative movement's big shebang in Washington, in uh, Baltimore. It's the hundredth anniversary of their organization for synagogues, the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism. So there were twelve hundred people there, and they divided me and a couple of others to lead alternative Shabbat services for their movement. So I got to know more about the movement. More on that later. So the Ramah camps that Reb Zalman was sent to. He had been, in the year before he was invited, he had, he had become very much awakened to a lot of other traditions. So he spent time at a Christian monastery. And he just wanted to see how, he, he, he really, he had done all this LSD, and he had done all these tripping with Timothy Leary. And what he saw during those trips was that, that every religion had a place in the world, and they were all talking about the same thing, but in different ways. And that, that the diversity wasn't about truth, but about beauty. It wasn't about who was right and who would you know, triumph ultimately, like where, where the runs would get it right. But like it was about, as he said later on, he said, I wanted to go talk to people who loved God the way I loved God and wanted to see how they were getting it on with God. That's what he said. I want to see how they were doing it. He said he was a, a peeping Tom for God. He wanted to see how everybody else was doing it because he was so turned on to God. He wanted to see. So he went to a monastery where they had a... They had these um, scriptoriums, you know, where they had all of these ancient scrolls in the scriptoriums and, and the way scribes would work on. So that summer in Ramah, he created something called the Talisarium, where he, t he got a sewing machine and he, and he gathered shmatas from everywhere in, in like, you know, in the, in the garment center. And, and he was teaching kids how to make their own tzitzis and talises. And he did the same thing with the Tfilinusarium. He teaches them how to make Tfilin. And so on. he was doing all of these workshops for people to do hands-on Jewish stuff so they could see how, they, how stuff gets made, you know? It's so great, right? 
So one of the things that he did when he was the rabbi in the Ramah that relates to smelling was that he instructed the chefs on, on Friday during the day when they were making the food for Friday night in Shabbat to turn the fans in the kitchen and face them out the window so that the smells of Shabbat would waft through the camp. And that the kids who would be walking up and down the, the you know, they would smell the chicken soup and the kogel, and they would have a, an olfactory memory of Shabbat. And I know for me personally, and I, I, I think others here might, might admit to this, that all I have to do is smell, I can't eat challah during the week, frankly. I do it sometimes, but it's not the same. I, if I smell challah, I'm already in Shabbat. I smell, if I smell a good challah, there's something, um, we'll talk about this, about the smells of Shabbat. But on a mystical or metaphysical level, the apple orchard is a metaphor for the, the sweet smell of Shabbat, mystically. And we know all of the, how much God loves smells in the, in the Bible, right? Right, all of the the fragrant odor of the of the temple sacrifices that God would smell and so on. So which is another way of saying that the sacred dimension, the portal, one of the portals to the sacred dimension is through through the way that we smell. So Raza the Shabbat, let's come back to the bottom of page three. Nine B. Raza the Shabbat, she the Shrina is Shabbat, united in the secret of one, to draw down upon her the secret of one. When the Shabbat arrives, she is placed by herself, separated from the other side. All judgments are removed from her, basking in the oneness of holy life. She is crowned over and over in the presence of the King. All wanton tyrannies and lords of affliction flee from her and vanish. There is no power in all the cosmos aside from her. Her face shines with a light from beyond. On earth she is crowned by the holy people, and all of them are crowned with new souls. They bless her with joy and beaming faces. So... In this image from the Zohar, what do you guys, when you read that, what are you reading? What are you seeing when you say that? Let's say it again. Shabbat is the Shekhinah. Shekhinah is Shabbat. United in the secret of one to draw upon herself the secret of one. When Shabbat arrives, she is placed by herself, separated from the other side. So in Kabbalah, the, the work of the week is the work of separating light from darkness. The work of the week, the six days of the week, is the work of clarifying um, and making choices that incline the world towards light and away from darkness. And in the Zohar in particular, and in all of Kabbalah, really, there is a struggle between the side of light and the side of darkness during the week that we experience personally as the confusion of the six days of the week or the six colors of the rainbow. All of that is called the, the work of the week. 
The Shabbat is the Raza de Echad. It is the secret of unity, the secret of oneness, the secret of, of coming out of struggle. That's the Raza de Echad. The Shekhinah is united with her male lover, the king, the six days of the week. The six days of the week unite and make love to Shabbat. Are you getting that? <laughs> There's, there is, yeah, how does that image sit? What would that mean? Let's, let's translate it for ourselves. What would it mean? It's very mystical, right? What does it mean? I mean, not that it has to mean anything. It could just remain mystical. I just don't understand how it should bring them in because they... Not is the result of that, those six days. And so in a sense, those six days are still living? They're still sort of present in us, I guess? All of the six days are flowing yeah. into Shabbat. And so flowing in, they're flowing into Shabbat. They're not flowing out yet, but they're flowing into Shabbat. And Shabbat is the ocean that receives all six of those mm-hmm. tributaries. We're going to get to the new soul. Look at the new souls right here at the end. It says something about the new soul. Going around in a circle, you've got oneness. One, the whole, and it goes around to the... Except where's the top. But it's still... You'll know where it is because it's the regal part of the circle. It's sort of odd, but... The re- What do you mean when you say the regal part the of the regal circle? The regal part of the circle. You just know where it is. Uh-huh. Um, so Shabbat is a day to become centered yes. and to come out of fragmentation. And you're right? in a circle. And mm-hmm. the way out of fragmentation is not by, by removing all of the six pieces or the mm-hmm. peak points, right. but by making room for all six mm-hmm. of those energies to live within us. Mm-hmm. And for Shabbat gives us, the intention of Shabbat on a psycho-spiritual level which for the Zohar is manifest cosmically, mm-hmm. is that there is more room on Shabbat. And because there is more room, mm-hmm. because there's more space, that space allows all of those things that are happening on the six days of the week that are pulling us to be held in the oscillating field of Shabbat. Mm-hmm. So that all six of those colors are now, all of them are white. But not because they've been erased, but because they're vibrating at a higher frequency and so now it's all white light, right? If you were to slow it down, you would, you would see the individual pieces of the rainbow. But in other words, the, in a simpler format, it means that when we stop focusing on scarcity, I'm going to make it super psycho-spiritual. So scarcity, the question of scarcity is, what is lacking? And the answer of Shabbat is nothing. And in that answer, we elevate all of the strivings of the week as implicitly necessary but partial and confused. So the radiance of all of the striving and all the fragmenting that is the six days of the week is extracted and seen for what it is, which is 
the yearning for wholeness. But without the disappointment that the six days of the week inevitably leave us with, which is, there's always more. Which always undermines the work of Monday, because there's got to be Tuesday. And whatever, did, whatever Monday gave wasn't enough, because obviously we are on Tuesday. And so, here's a famous Torah from the Hasidic Masters. Everybody with me so far? Yes. Just let me know if I lose you, because I probably got lost too, so you can let me know. <laughs> so, when, remember, we, remember uh, last week, in the beginning of the class, we talked about the 39 categories of prohibited work. And I put work in these, in these two-finger things, in, because work in the rabbinic definition does not mean caloric expenditure or energetic expenditure because you can lift heavy things on Shabbat but you're not allowed to take a chicken bone from the meat first you have to take the meat from the chicken bone so in the rabbinic construction and I use that word construction very um, intentionally in the rabbinic construction of the rabbinic Shabbat which we are all the recipients of thankfully Melacha, M apostrophe L-A-C-H A something, Melacha Melacha that word, that biblical word which is translated as work isn't work it is creative and by creative here we don't mean thinking thoughts that are creative thoughts, we mean specifically as they envisioned it that anything that was demanded to, to build the Mishkan, the portable sanctuary in the desert, those 39 general categories of construction are exactly what is prohibited on the Sabbath to make a sanctuary in time. Just as those categories of work or creative artisanry was used to build the tabernacle, everything from dyeing to burrowing to tearing to writing, engraving, all of those things that made it were necessary for the construction of this elaborate, beautiful tabernacle in the desert, for the rabbis, were exactly what was prohibited. Though all those general categories, plus all of the little things that they derived from it, were exactly what was prohibited in order to create, not a sanctuary in space, but a sanctuary in time. Was that clear? Yes. I'm feeling clear tonight, so I'm happy about that. So is, is, it, is it clear? Yes. Okay, good. It happens when I actually have less sleep. I'm working on like four hours of sleep tonight or three hours of sleep, so I'm good. So, one sec. So, no, because that means my brain is working slower, so it's, it's better for me. So, um, ah, so, in that construction of, of, right, that's the rabbinic construction. But the funniest thing, everybody, is that when the rabbis give over those laws, when the rabbis mandate those laws, they have a very unique way of saying it that the Hasidic teachers extract a deep teaching from. So the, how do the rabbis say there are 39 categories of, law, of, of prohibited work or, or melacha? There are 40 categories of work minus one. They don't say there are 39 categories. In the Mishnah, in the rabbinic dictum from the 2nd century, the law... The, 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 the way that they language it is there are 40 categories of prohibited law minus chaser echad minus one the word for minus is chaser means lacking one chaser echad 
So, of course, many commentaries have, have spilled ink over the last uh, almost two millennia trying to figure out why on earth would you have said it in such a weird way? Why not just say, like, why, why not say what? There are 39 categories. What's with the strange... Now, there's probably a very eloquent, uh, elegant reason, but here's a beautiful... I don't know if this is true, but it's really nice. Right? It's not, it might not be the original reason why. Here's the, the, the really interesting take. Said One Hasidic master said that every one of those 39 categories, when acted out in the week, right, when acted upon in the week, when we build, when we tear, when we write, all those weekly activities are reflecting a chisaron. They all reflect a lack. All of the building that we do, by that we mean everything, building the world. If we were Buddhists, we'd say all of the effort, the skillful means, all of the upaya, all of the effort, all of that which goes into building ourselves and building our... All of that is part of the world of 39. Of, of, I'm sorry, of 40 chaser echad, that are lacking echad, one. Right? So, lacking one, the Hasidic teacher said, is a way of saying that all of our action in the world is in essence a response to an inner sense that something is missing. And we need that. That's absolutely necessary. We wouldn't get up out of bed in the morning if we didn't have a sense that there was something that we had to do. Right? And there was something that only we could do. Right? We would be vegetables if, we were, if everything was just always perfect. There is a sense of something being awry, which is this, the itch that we scratch whenever we build something. Right? Why... Why is there something instead of nothing? Something was missing. So, on Shabbos, we affirm that nothing is missing. That's Shechina. And that's Shechina married to Kuchabrichu, married to the Divine Masculine. It's when that sacred marriage of doing and being are enacted, are, is consummated that we are in the mode of Shabbat. When the shin and the bat, right, the shin, the crown of those three upper energies, the ideal, and the bat, the daughter, which is manifestation, are married. We have other images of this in other traditions, right? Shiva and Shakti. You have the Divine Spirit. We have the Son and the Father. We have all, a lot of different images for this union taking place. And for us as Jews, the most common is that um, is Shabbat. Now, this is a far cry from Shabbat as day off. <laughs> right? This is not, I'm going to the beach because, hey, this is my Shabbat. Now, everybody is entitled to make their Shabbat as they, I would say entitled. Everybody will make the Shabbat that they want to make. And there are many ways to express this, right? But if we're talking about the way that Shabbat has been for the last, this is now at least uh, 900 years, Shabbat is a day of sacred sexual union between the outer and the inner, between the upper and the lower, between our physical and spiritual selves, between the fragments and the whole.
you know. So, a question for you. Yeah. What does that mean about the other days of the week? Does that mean to say that if you feel the one ex feels this unity on Shabbat, that it's not available for us the other days of the week? I mean, what is the suggestion of the, you know, the relevant, you know, what does it mean for the rest of the days of the week? That, you know, is it only available or is it just more available? If you ask me, it's, it's, it's a, such a good question. So if you're asking me what the tradition says and what at this point in the tradition or later on, because we're doing, we're kind of moving piece by piece, but, but at the same time we're also looking at the totality of it. So it's certainly true that in later mystical teachings, the sense that Shabbat was everywhere, um, or may, maybe say it this way, that Shabbat was less exclusively tied to time and more to person, or consciousness becomes more prevalent. In later teachings, in Chassidut, there's a awareness that, that sacred time is not as operative as sacred consciousness. And that just as there's Shabbat in time, there's Shabbat in mind. So that you can be Shabbat wherever you are. Because your mind is what is Shabbating, right? In earlier sources, it's tied very much to sacred time, right? So Shabbat is, and I would say that um, that one, if to be fully Jewish, in, in for the concept of Shabbat to be fully Jewish and to be honest to the Jewish sources, you would have to say that it's a combination of sacred, specific sacred time, and sacred person or sacred consciousness. It, it wouldn't be fully Jewish for someone to say, Shabbat is any time I'm at one with God. That wouldn't be a fully Jewish thing to say, although it might be true on a Buddhist level. But it's not true Jewishly. For Jews to affirm the sacredness of time and the sacred dimension of person is, to, is, to, is, is, is necessary. Right? So, Friday night is special, we would say. And it isn't that you can do it on Sunday. There are sources that say if you don't know what day of the week it is and so on, fine. But it's, it's, uh, it wouldn't be true to the Jewish uh, conception of Shabbat. And since we birthed it, we get to define it. <laughs> if we want it to be Jewish. Right? The Christians have done something else with, with, uh, with Shabbat. And um, again, it's balancing all of these things in one dance. I want to say one more thing, is that, that's it, yes. Right, the six days of the week are, are filtered through Shabbat, right. it's a beautiful image, I think it's a beautiful image, that the six days of the week are filtered through Shabbat. And, and you'll see later on that in the Ari, it's, it's, very, it's very much like this in the Ari. Um, okay, so I want to I wanna do... Um, anybody else? I want to I I do some more. Um, now, at the end of this, 9b, we said that she is crowned by the holy people. Who is that? Who crowns Shabbat? We is, who's we? The Jewish people crown Shabbat, right? We crown Shabbat. 
and then we are crowned by Shabbat with a, and given a new soul. We bless her with joy and beaming faces. Now, I guess I'm going to come back to the, the, the new soul piece because I'm sure many of you have heard this notion that on Shabbat we're given an extra soul. Anybody, everybody hear that? Or how many people have never heard that? That we get an extra soul on Shabbat. Never heard that? We get an extra, uh, now you heard it. We get an extra soul on Shabbat. You get two souls for the price of one on Shabbat. Um, but I want to go, go back to, um, let's go back to eight. And then we're going to go from eight up to the, then to the top right. Let me read eight. The firmament, we did this last week, but I want you to see it again now in the context of what I've been explaining about the marriage of heaven and earth. The firmament proclaims, Hashemai Magid, right? V'saprim Kvodo, Adav Magid Harakia. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. In the Hebrew, proclaims is Magid. Remember I talked about this last week, about Haggadah and that which goes out and binds? So the interpretation here is based on the Aramaic meaning, remember, flows or streams forth. We did this last week. The supernal dew. What is that, the supernal dew? Mm. The supernal dew is the, in, is the influx of divine energy at every moment. Dew is, is always the rabbinic way of saying something that's constant. Because dew never stops. So, supernal dew is another way of saying God's love. It's a, more, it's a more of a Christian way to say it. I like it, and so I'm using it. It's true to my experience. The, the, the love that is divine, which is the energy of the universe, which is manifestation, which is creation, which is every moment, which is the electricity, if you will, of divine, from the divine power plant, is always flowing forth. Call that supernal dew, which could be, God willing, in our Abiyah Center, this will be one of our soft drinks. <laughs> Supernal dew on the rocks. Supernal dew will stream forth from all of the hidden regions. Where are the hidden regions in the Kabbalah? It's like up there in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the highest domains of the subtle and the, 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 the cause of the subtle up in the realms of the non-dual kiss all of that is up there and from that place the involution of spirit moves from radical unknowing all the way down and this is happening all the time in fact it's happening right now Right this second, in this room, I am being created anew with every, with every moment. My consciousness is being born from unity into radical diversity. It happens cosmically, it happens psychically, it happens spiritually. And that's the meaning of the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. It doesn't mean that when you look up at the heavens, you say, wow, there's God. That's what it means. But another deeper meaning of it is that God's Magid, what is, what is coming out, the word proclaim, Magid, also means what, what shoots out. What is being dripped out of the heavens is God's love, and it's coming down. The firmament is streaming forth and courses downward 
from the head of the king, which is Keter in great abundance. The firmament is that stream issuing from the cistern, the river going out of Eden, which is Bina, flowing earthward. In other words, this is just the way of manifestation. It's all happening. It's all arising and falling away at every moment, right? And the last sentence, the firmament carries all of this downward in a stream of love and desire in order to irrigate the field of joy on Sabbath Eve. So this, get it, it's happening for the Zohar on so many levels. It's happening inside of me, right? At every moment of my day, there is the field of my awareness which is being irrigated by levels and levels and levels of awareness that are beyond my even knowing, and it's happening now and now on Monday and Sunday and Tuesday and Wednesday, but it's also happening weekly, right? All six days of the creation are as if, right, this, the flowing is flowing from Saturday night into Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, and finally until Friday night, sorry, Friday night, which is the field that is receiving it. So we, as that field, are entering into that field, multiple fields, and metaphors, we are, on the end of the work week, receiving the blessing of divine magi, divine streaming, and divine love. And that is manifesting um, all of it on Friday night, Saturday, and Friday night in particular is a night of love making. It's the love shack, and it's happening Friday night, every Friday night, God's making love with goddess, and we're making love with our God, goddess. Um, and that's happening externally, it's happening internally, it happens in the liturgy, you'll, you know, you'll see a little bit later, like this very beautiful Friday night service that everybody comes to get up and do a little BJ dancing and Rambam dancing and Anshay Chesed dancing is really one big divine orgy. <laughs> Alright. It's really amazing because... Uh, what I mean by that, though, is not, and, and honestly here, being s- super serious, I don't mean, right, that it's a night of, of uh, I don't mean that erotically or sexually or inappropriately, right? I mean that that too, right, that too. It's not a night of um, frivolity, not, not to confuse what's happening with anything frivolous. It's, it's uh, absolutely intentional and sacred, and um, and beautiful. So um, let's read another little one here on the top right. Okay. What does Shabbat mean? Everybody with me? Yes. How's it going so far? Okay. I'm loving this. What does Shabbat mean? It is the name of the Holy One, perfected, perfected on all sides. Shlimu b'chol sitroi, on all sides, the completion of God, so to speak, perfected, right? Not lacking anything. Shabbat, as God's name, is a way of saying that which is lacking nothing. On this day, the patriarchs are crowned and all their children imbibe the splendor, such as is unknown on other festivals and holy days. On this day, sinners in Gehinnom find rest. Right? Sinners in hell find rest on Shabbat. 
If you're wondering if Judaism believes in hell, good question, and it, it does. Mystical Judaism. What that is? On this day, the Torah is re... I'm sorry. On this day, punishment lies inert, never stirring. On this day, the Torah is wreathed in perfect crowns. On this day, the sound of rejoicing and declaration and, and declaration or delectation is heard in 250 worlds. On this day in which the Torah is crowned, she is crowned with all, with all the mitzvot and decrees, with 70 branches of the light which shine from every side. Who can behold these branches of light, branches upon branches? Who can behold the luminous gates which open at all sides? They are all shimmering and radiant, bringing forth streaming, inexhaustible light. Shabbat is special. Shabbat is, in the language of the Zohar, the marriage of love and, right, all of the six sides of the six days of the week are all complete in that refined moment that Judy was talking about. Right? The refining of that. And its beauty is, they have no words to even describe how beautiful Shabbat is. I wanted to turn now in your holiday machzor. To um, two readings, and this is a good moment for everybody to get energized, because we're going to read from uh, the sweet and brilliant Franz Rosenzweig in his book, The Star of Redemption. That's the first page, where it says number one on the top, and 310 and 311 on the bottom, and begins in the top left column with the word, the Sabbath. Yeah? This is going to be our guide now to enter into Friday night a little bit more deeply. Would anybody like to read? I know Alina's going to... Yeah, go ahead, Alina. The Sabbath, only established, only founded. But as such a foundation, the reading of the Torah becomes the liturgical focus of the holiday on which the spiritual year is founded, of the Sabbath. In the circle of weekly portions, which in the course of one year cover all of the Torah, the spiritual year is paced out, and the paces of this course are the Sabbaths. By and large, every Sabbath is just like any other. But the difference in the portions from the scriptures distinguishes each from each, and this difference shows that they are not final in themselves, but only part of a higher order of the year. For only in the year do the differentiating elements of the individual parts again fuse into a whole. The Sabbath lends reality to the year. This reality must be recreated might say that the spiritual year knows only what is dealt with in this portion, and it becomes a year because every week is nothing but a free moment. Stop there. Uh, I'm sorry, finish it. Finish that. It is only in the sequence of Sabbaths that the year rounds to a garland. So if you if you were just waking up to this one piece, I, I would want you to remember this is not mystical at all. Right? We went from being super mystical now to being a little bit less mystical, which is kind of nice. It's a little bit more grounded. In a way, maybe. Um, what, what's, what's Rosenzweig saying about the 52, Shab- the, the uniqueness of each day, each Shabbat of the year? The part of 
it's all part of it's all part of, of a larger order. What's the larger order? The year. the year. So each parsha he says is the is the year's allotment. It's the year energy of Torah divided into weekly pieces, and each piece, each week is a little piece of that which is much bigger than it, which is the year cycle of Torah. And you only get that energy or that Torah for that week. You get one fifty-second of a, a week. And why is that important? Why is that important? The reality of Shabbat needs to be recreated week by week. Right? It is only in the sequence of Shabbat that the year rounds to a garland. Mm-hmm. Keep going, Alina. The very regularity from the sequence of Sabbaths, the very fact that, aside from the variation in the scripture portions, one Sabbath is just like the other, makes them the cornerstones of the year. The year as a spiritual year is created only through them. They perceive everything that may still come and imperturbably go side by side with all else, following their even course amid the splendors of feast days. Through all the surge of joy and sorrow, of anguish and bliss, that the feasts bring with them, the even flow of the Sabbaths goes on, the even flow which makes possible those whirlpools of the soul. In the Sabbath, the year is created, and thus the main significance of the Sabbath lies in the symbolic meaning of its liturgy. Is a holiday that commemorates creation. What did Rosenzweig say? You can read it again. Should we read it again? People want to read it to themselves and, and digest it? What's Rosenzweig saying? What's, what's the big chop of Rosenzweig here? That Sabbath is the micro of the macro. Sa- Sabbath is, is, each Sabbath is a micro, of the macro or a piece of the macro. But what is significant about Sabbath that makes it also a, a macro? It is continuous, it is regular, it appears every week, week in and week out. You can know that there are 52 Sabbaths, and what emerges, right? What, what wells up? What are the whirlpools of the soul that he's referring to, right? Joy and sorrow, what are those? Those are emotions, but what are they in terms of, we're talking about time here, sacred time. Anybody want to read it again? Chagin. So you have Passover, which is joyous. You have Sukkot, which is joyous. You have Shavuot, which is joyous. You have Tisha B'Av, which is not so joyous. You have the ebb and flow of the holidays. And underneath the holidays, you have the absolute steady, rock-solid, dependable, week-in, week-out, worker-bee, get your hard hat and make it to your union job, punch-in, punch-out, Shabbat. Shabbat is there weekly, weekly, weekly. Everything else goes up and goes down. Shabbat says... I'm here. The flavor of each Shabbat individually makes up one little piece of a totality of a circle of the year that has 52 points, each one making a garland of time. And the fundamental structure of it is that it is solid. It is stable. And as such, it is commemorative of creation, which is also stable. Day in, day out, hour in, hour out, we can rely and depend upon the world of nature, the world of creation. And Shabbat is that commemoration of that which has been set forth, which will come back. It has individual flavor. It has an individual flavor, that's true. And in terms of Torah, in the cycle of Torah, right, that which is different about every Shabbat is only in the Torah portion. 
Shabbat itself would not differ from week to week. You would feel like there's Big Ben and there's Parliament. Right? There's Shabbat and here I am again. It's Shabbat. But no, this Shabbat is Shabbat Parshat Vayetze. We're reading about Yaakov. This is this Shabbat is Parshat Vayikra. We're reading about Leviticus. We're reading about Saturday. This Shabbat. In other words, Rosenzweig says that the rabbis have instituted a way of separating one Shabbat to another that are is unique to the Torah's cycle of a yearly cycle, but Shabbat herself, as Shekhinah, is ever-present there and commemorates the reliability and the dependability of creation. So that when I land on Shabbat, I am both landing on that which is radically familiar, unchanging, reliable, dependable, and yet, Torah, in the way that the rabbis have constructed it, are telling me a new story for that Shabbat. And that gives a text with a context. Let's go on. The Feast of Creation. And also, by the way, yeah. your Shabbat in Baltimore and our Shabbat in New York is also linked so beautifully because of that uh, consistency. How so? Because because we're, we're reading the same story. Because we're reading the same story. Yeah. We're living so the same everywhere. Right. Everywhere around the world. Right. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. So it doesn't matter if you're speaking in French or you're speaking in Spanish. We're all reading the same story. And the rabbi's probably saying the same exact thing. As a way, 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 way. Absolutely. It's beautiful. And it keeps coming around so every year at that time you can commemorate those. And not only that, all of, all of our current events, all of our experience of the world is actually read through the prism of the narrative of the Torah. So we take everything that happens in the world on that particular weekend and we try to, in some way, connect it to the themes and issues that are arising in the Torah, regardless of whether or not it's, it's necessarily clearly there. Part of our own making sense of the world is making the world fit into Torah and making Torah expound upon the world. So it's a beautiful institution of, of um, in, in a very deep way, of using the weekly portion as a frame or as a, a filter to which to see the world. So he's going to go on and talk a little bit more about Shabbat. We're going to get to Friday evening, which is on the bottom right. He wants to read the second paragraph here, The Feast of Creation. For God created heaven and earth in six days, and on the seventh he rested. And so the seventh day became the day of rest, the Sabbath, to celebrate the memorial of the is that? Yeah, the memorial of the work of, of the work creation. of creation. Or more accurately, the completion of that work. And the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. The Sabbath reflects the creation of the world and the year just as the world is always there, and wholly there before anything at all happens to it, in it, so the order of the Sabbaths precedes all the festivals which commemorate events and completes its course in the year, undisturbed by other feasts. Okay, time out. So what is he saying there? That's what you said. Right, it is what I said. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was jumping the gun. But what, what, what is he saying again? Just say it outside, somebody. So when we say Friday night, and the heavens and the earth were completed, they were finished, 
He's saying it reflects the creation of the world in the year. And just as the world is always there, and it exists before anything at all happens in it, so Shabbat, in the analogy, is just as the, the creation of the world is different than the history that occurred within the, history, in the creation of the world, so too the historical holidays of the Jewish calendar are secondary or, or are laid over the 52 Shabbatot that are the regularity of the, of the year. Right? Shabbat is creation, and history are the holidays. The world is Shabbat, and the things that take place in the world are all of those holidays that are historical. Yeah, does that make sense? It's kind of obvious. But it's, um, I like the way he, may, he says it. Now he'll say something else. He also says the, one other thing he says is that, is that it's completion. Each Shabbat is a completion of creation. Right. Which is a little bit it's different than just the work. It's the completion of the heaven. Yeah. Okay. And just as creation... Just as creation is not contained in the fact that the world was created once, but requires for its fulfillment renewal at every dawn, so the Sabbath is the festival of creation, but it's not be one that is celebrated only once a year, but one that is renewed throughout the year, week after week the same, and yet week after week different, because of the difference in the weekly portions. And just as creation is wholly complete, Revelation adds to it nothing that was not already latent in its in it as presage. So the festival of creation must also contain the entire content of the festivals of Revelation. In its own intercourse from evening to evening, it must all be presaged. So what's he saying here? And I love this. I mean, the middle two lines that are are magnificent. Just as creation is not contained in the fact that the world was created once but requires for its fulfillment renewal at every dawn. So the Sabbath as a festival of creation. How many people would think about Shabbat differently if instead of saying, I'm keeping Shabbat, every Friday night at Rumble there's a festival honoring creation. It's a creation festival. Isn't that nice? I don't know. When I was growing up, I never that, that was never a way to frame it. Being Shomer Shabbat meant, you know, I honored creation, but it wasn't festival of creation. It's a creation festival. It's in the Kiddush. It is in the Kiddush. He's quoting the Kiddush. Exactly. Beautiful. He's quoting the blessing we make over the wine. Absolutely. He's reframing it. It's not just a remembrance of... It's a celebration. It's a festival of creation. Zechel Ma'aseb Reshit is... We celebrate the, the creation of the world anew every single week. Because creation wasn't a one-time event. It is always happening. Yet week after week differently, but it is still different in the Torah portion, right? That the Torah portion is slightly different, and that gives it its unique quality. And then he says, And just as creation is wholly complete, and revelation adds nothing to it, this is an important piece, that the revelation, whatever that means in his philosophy, let's, let's skip this last two lines. Okay, let's skip that. Okay, Friday night. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you think... So this is create. This is culture creating, obviously. Yeah. What is Shabbat creates culture, creates a Jewish culture because it's it's the fundamental piece to it. So I'm thinking about the, uh, you know, American culture or the culture that you know the uh, um, non-Jewish culture. Yeah. Do you think that it's possible that the um, 
and this may be so far off field that we should leave it alone. But do you think that it's possible that our culture could have something other than Sunday football that allows it to um, to also find festival creativity in its uh, you know in a you know, in a regular pattern? You know, the, they tried with the blue laws, and they, you know, I think that one of the one of the one of the deep problems is that um, one of the deep problems with that is that we, our our culture is has, is maddeningly and and crazily confuses leisure um, and entertainment with deep rest. We don't really have um, in our culture the conception of um, <coughs> that nothing is productive. Right? We don't really have that sense that that there is um Our culture commodifies time. Our culture says that time is, is, becomes an input in an equation that's an economic equation. We, in our GNP, in our GDP rather, in our GDP, um, we have a, a completely crazy way of calculating um, the value of, of, of a given Everything is monetized. So that war, war is actually good for our GDP. Sickness is good for our GDP. We, we, we have a completely insane and psychotic mentality in the West, which is the product of an industrial um, complex. Which, which, although, God forbid, I would ever want us to be pre-industrial in any way, but it's a sickness. The shadow of it was that because it replaced values and became the sole arbiter of what was valuable, it would require a complete overhauling of our system. Right? What do we do on Sunday? We're not working, which is, of course, wasted productivity for our GDP. But we watch gazillionaires pound themselves until they are literally, literally, they're kill we watch essentially human cock and, and dog fighting, uh, which is a billion dollar industry in our, in our country. And since the almighty dollar rules, we participate. It's fun. It's entertaining. I, I do it myself. It's fine. I'm, but in order to, to really... Like, we haven't tapped into Shabbat. Let me just say this. Shabbat is one of the most important spiritual practices in the world. And Shabbat done right is not just um, a re-energizing of our batteries, but a reaffirming of our deep existential beliefs about what is valuable and what is important, and who we are, not just in our relations, in the, the web of our life with our, you know, our other threads, but our relationship existentially to who we are 
as human beings, as evolved amoebas, you know. That is what Shabbat is essentially trying to do. Now, you, you might not see that if you're just walking into a house with, and they're eating cholent, which is like a Jewish chili, and uh, different kinds of kogol, you know, puddings and so on. But, but what Shabbat is intending to do is to say um, that even if you are not producing anything in the world that is measurable by standard measurements, you are, com- you are completing creation by resting. And that that is not only has value, not only does that have value, but that is itself the eternal value, which is to affirm um, that, that without our rest and without our willingness to be humbled in the face of that which we, can no- we cannot produce, then our production itself loses meaning. I have the sense that we live in this like profoundly groundless state, always seeking ground, constantly, constantly moving, 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 and a way to kind of, in the relative sense, find ground, and the groundless would be Shabbat, the reference point of Shabbat. Right. We would have to get lost with our reference and relocate, right? The global... Shabbos is a global positioning Shabbos, GPS. Shabbos is your, um, my, our treasure in the conversation about being versus nothingness. In the, in the debate about whether human beings should have been created or not, Shabbat answers in the affirmative and says that human life is only redeemable if it is rooted in, in humus, in humility, in, um, in the sense of, of our, that, that in admitting that we can't complete, God bless you, in, in admitting that we can't complete the work, we admit that we're not God. We're not God. And it's, it's our inability to admit that we're not God which gets us into trouble. You know, Heschel, who wrote the book, The, the, the Sabbath, was a profoundly anti-mystical person, even though he was quoting, he was himself the great-grandchild of, of one of the greatest Hasidic masters. He was named after him, he had the same name. Abraham Joshua Heschel of Opt was his great-grandfather, and he was named Abraham Joshua Heschel. So he was a Hasidic pers- master, in modern clothing, but he wasn't a mystic, meaning he affirmed the, the two-ness of God and human beings. That when human beings arrogate to themselves being united with God in an unhealthy way, he saw that as the greatest hubris. He wanted to maintain the separation between humans and God. Right? He wanted to maintain this, the, this, the ever-so-slight difference, and, and in that, to act as a check against human beings thinking that they could become God, that they could have absolute power in any way. And so, he, of course, he was the one that wrote the book about the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is the most profound statement that you can make around your own um, surrendering of what it is that you, you can't finish. 
It's like funny to say that we complete creation. Is creation ever completed? Mm -hmm. No. No. We never. We can't complete creation. It's an ongoing project. But in admitting that we are partners in completing the creation that we can't complete, we admit that we have to. Part of even God's project for creation was rest, of pulling away from the river of more, and resting in the river of enough already. Exactly. We, we exactly, and and sleep is part of it. Certainly, the body needs to sleep. But we, what, what Shabbat is, is the antidote to acquisitiveness. Shabbat is the antidote to acquisitiveness. More, more acquisition. It's like, you know, um, it's so many things. It's so many things. And that's why, but I told you last week that the Talmud says that if you keep Shabbat, it's as if you kept the whole Torah. If you keep Shabbat, it's as if you kept the whole Torah. Now, um, I'm a big advocate for becoming Shomer Shabbos. If anybody here is interested in, in becoming more Shomer Shabbat, I'm, I'm a big fan um, of people turning off and, turn, and tuning in. <coughs> and I think that these spiritual principles, uh, without the vessels of actually doing Shabbat, um, they, they don't hold. They don't really hold. Right? We need, as Arthur Green said in the first piece that we read on the first day, not, not defining it, I'm not defining it here for anybody, but if there aren't actual tangible things that cost you something, so that you feel, wow, it's Shabbat, then, then it, it's too much of an idea. And, and it's like reading it, it's, it's nice. It's, it's, in, it's in the... Like there, there literally has to be... Like I would love it if you guys would all at some point say, I'm not buying anything on Shabbat. I'm not participating in the acquisition of anything on Shabbat. I'll buy everything I need before Shabbat. And believe me, you can do it. Right? Believe me, you can do it. No, but there isn't anybody here who could say that, um, you know, that I have to buy things on Shabbat. Right? I have friends, um, you know, anyway. Is it in your studies other religion that has this journey of, 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 of Shabbat? Of, the, of a day in the cycle where scarcity and deprivation are not located. There's, there's no tradition that I know of that has the, the precise thematic um, parallel. There are certainly retreats and so on, and there are abstinence and so on, and there there are those themes, but it, it, nowhere that I have seen is it connected to an actual day, every week, every week, um, uh, and so I want to come back to my retreat that I had this weekend and, and the conservative movement, and um, I had oh last thing. Uh, we're going to read Friday night. Um, I guess we'll read it um, next week. I just want what I wanted to, to plant, and then there's this other beautiful text here that I wanted to um, to read to you. Let's let's actually before I talk to you, let, let's look at page four in your handout on the bottom.
ושמרו בני ישראל את That's number two on the bottom. We're singing Exodus 31:16. So if you look at the Hebrew there, it says "Veshamru bnei Israel," right? You see the number 16 right next to that is "Veshamru bnei Israel," and the and the Israelites observed et haShabbat. They observed Shabbat. Shabbat to do the Shabbat, to establish it. Lidorotam brit olam. What does that mean? Lidorotam. Yeah? Anybody? Lidorotam brit olam. For the generations, a, an everlasting covenant. Brit. Now, everybody here who has a, um, a Midrashic mind knows that there are no vowel points in the Torah. So, Lidorotam. It can't be read as do, ro, tam without vowels. In the Hebrew, it's just dalet, resh, taf, mem. Dr-tam. Not even tam. D-R-T-M. So with other vowel points, it could be read ledi-ratam. Which means, good question, Judy. Which means for them to live in. Dira is the Hebrew for apartment or a living space. So... It's the rabbis learn from this that God wants there to be a dira, an apartment, or, or a dwelling place, um, a, a place of living. Right? We should make Shabbat a place where, where, where the divine couple can live. We should make it like, a, like we're setting up an apartment where two lovers are coming home and, they want, and they're going to make love. So listen to this. It says in the Raya Mahamna, in the little script, one must prepare a comfortable seat with several cushions and embroidered covers from all that is... Uh, found in the house, like one who prepares for a bride, for the Sabbath is a queen and a bride. And then more tellingly, observe the Sabbath throughout the generations, Dorotam, and then here's the wordplay. The word Dorotam, or Dirotam, hints at the notion of a dwelling, Dirotam. When the Sabbath enters, the dwelling place must be prepared like a chamber of a bridegroom set to receive his bride. And in so doing, the bride is welcomed into the devotee's hearth and home, and the numinous presence of Shekhinah is felt. The holy bride is ushered into Israel's abode as in their midst, as, as into their midst, as the Shabbat begins. Shabbat is like a wedding. It's like a wedding. And um, it's, it's one of the frames. This Shabbat is like this wedding. Um, in the mystical literature, it's a celebration of creation. It's a wedding day. It's a very special, special, special day. So when I was in Baltimore, Baltimore. Ba- right, Baltimore, Baltimore, and um, I had a chance to participate in um, in this in this gathering, and. Um, And then I went from this gathering to a smaller gathering of 50 national Jewish leaders from, not Jewish leaders, Jewish people, but not all involved in Jewish life, most of whom were, but people, uh, uh, playwrights and uh, directors and movie makers and musicians and heads of federations and heads of foundations and rabbis and educators, 
have 50 people from around the country to talk about uh, what's broken in Judaism and what needs to be fixed. And I had these two. They were both in, Bo- in Baltimore. In Baltimore. And both of them were in, like, about a half hour away from each other. And, um, and the one thing that kept coming back over and over again was Shabbat. That um, Shabbat is this incredible opportunity for people to do spiritual practice. Like, we have embedded in our tradition this incredible resource, this incredible foundational practice that... Um, that's so um, available, so easy, in a way. Um, and, um, and I'll have this enduring image forever. When I came out of, the, of lunch on Saturday afternoon, there was a group of USY, which is the United Synagogue Youth, which is the conservative movement's move, youth movement from around the country. There were about 100 of these teenage kids, like kids, you know, I guess not older than 16, you know, from 13 to 16. And they were all sitting on the floor and they were singing songs. And it was really, really powerful because they were singing all of these, these Shabbat songs that, that we're going to learn here over the course of the year. We're going to learn a lot of them um, together. And, um, and I was just very moved by that. You know, I, I thought that that's the sign of a very dynamic and alive communities that the kids in the community on Shabbat afternoon want to sit down and sing songs. And they're not singing songs like about, uh, you know, the Michigan Wolverines or, or about, like, you know, the Maryland Terps or, or you know, not, they're not singing songs, again, they're not participating in that ethos. They are singing songs about the beauty of Shabbat and the light of Shabbat. And that would be, to me, that is the, the litmus test of a vibrant, dynamic Jewish community, is that the adults and the children together are, are singing songs on Shabbat and they're raising up that energy and that they value Shabbat. It's really, um, it's really an important part of our, of our community. Um, so I think, um, you know, I think there's hope. Where, where there's Shabbat, there's hope. Where there's Shabbat, there's hope. Right? And Shabbat, um, you know, even Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a great Buddhist, Vietnamese Buddhist master, he wrote in one of his books, he said, when he heard about the Jewish Shabbat, he decided that he was going to make a Shabbat room in his house. So that whenever you came into the Shabbat room, you could practice Shabbat. Um, and, and that really... Um, that really resonated for me. That he was, and, and you know, that he was jealous of Shabbat. Because Lord knows I've been jealous of some of his stuff. You know, <laughs> you know I don't, I don't have a Buddhist room, but I, I have a lot of Buddhist practices, and he has a Shabbat room. So that's tonight's lesson. Tonight's lesson was uh, just a recap for all of you: the heroes Gamos, the marriage of heaven and earth. That Shabbat is a night, is a, a day of unifying opposites and defragmenting that Shabbat does that by recognizing that 40 minus 1, it's the minus 1 which dominates our weekday consciousness, which is always motivated by lack. But Shabbat is a day on which we practice, not perfect, we practice remembering that we have what we need. And that one of the outgrowths of that is to, is to imagine 
using Shabbat as a day to practice not acquiring anything. That what would it be like if we were to bring awareness to our habitual acquisition mentality on Shabbat, and instead, if we were to prepare during the six days of the week to rest on Shabbat without having any more. And you can see in this, by the way, very clearly how this connects to the seventh year, the Shemitah, or the sabbatical year. Because the six years in that seven-year cycle act as, um, as a, a model of being, of, of being a forecaster. Actually, this is the last thing I'll say, I promise, is that Erica Brown, those of you who know Erica Brown, she's a very, very well-known educator that David Brooks from the New York Times has written about in, this, in his column in the New York Times. She's written pieces for the Times. She's written pieces in the Jewish Week. She's an educator in the Washington, D.C. area, and she's written uh, three books now that are, that are... One of them is an amazing book called Happier Endings. She's a brilliant woman, and she gave the plenary speech at the, the conservative movements um, at the big centennial for their 100-year anniversary. And she said that there were three models of innovation and change that she... Um, that she wanted to talk about. Pope Francis. She's Orthodox. Pope Francis, um, Steve Jobs, and um, God. And, and... In that order? Yeah, in that order. And um, I, I could tell I could talk all... I would love to talk about that, about disruptive innovation, about the most important thing to remember in Jewish life, in any, in any business or any endeavor, is the famous Steve Jobs quote, which he used, and I've used for the last seven years, is that, you know, quoting Henry Ford, that when Henry Ford was, was building the car, he said, I don't listen to what customers want, because if I, if I listen to what customers want, they would have had a fast horse. <laughs> Just want a faster horse. Faster horse. And so you have to know, you have to not know, you have to not respond to what they want, but you have to perceive what it is that they don't yet know that they need. And, um, but that's a whole other conversation. So what she said, though, that, that it was interesting for the, the ending here is, she said that the Jewish world has been stuck in, in crisis mode for so long that we don't ever prepare and forecast. We're so busy responding to what's happening and what happened that we don't have the spaciousness to think about what could happen over the course of the next 10 years and how do we, how do we chart it. How do we strategize to make it? We're always responding, you know, after the fact, post, or, you know, anyway, a posteriori, you know, post de facto. We're always, and that's also the way with Shabbat. If you think that you're going to have a restful Shabbat without any preparation on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you are really in the woods. Because come Friday night, it's, it, it ain't, it's not going to happen. If you don't let people know that your phone is off, you're going to wind up Saturday night with 25 voice messages wondering if you're okay. If you don't buy food on Arab Shabbat or Thursday or Friday afternoon, guess what? You're going to order in on Friday night. If, you don't, if we don't prepare to turn off, then we're going to be stuck. So I just wanted to put that out. Again, no guilt. It's, it, again, it's just, a, it's just a practice that I'm suggesting um, I happen to um, I happen to love it and I think um, I think our boobies and zaddies would be happy with that we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end with uh, with the cottage so please rise